Uh, before we start on um, the, our next two words in Paul's definition of love, which are up there on the screen, uh, let's read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 again. So, who really feels like reading out the love chapter? Tim. Yep, big voice. All right. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angry, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks, Tim. Um, Steve, I think, uh, Stevie, I think you're not muted. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Simon, could you hand those uh, sheets around now and uh, if people want a pen as well? So just as uh, a couple of weeks ago, I've got a sheet with things for you to fill in, just prompts and uh, the passage. So that'll just give us an opportunity to reflect on what we're thinking about. So this chapter, this chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 is, of course, a favourite at weddings. I've been to non-Christian weddings where they read this chapter out and people just adore the other-focused nature of the love that Paul speaks so beautifully of here. They love it and they especially adore it when they are the focus of that love, right? which is how they're thinking of it in a wedding. Yeah, my wife is going to love me like that. My husband's going to love me like that. But that's actually not the context of this passage at all. Rather, this section on love is a lesson for a broken church. The Corinthians were a proud church. They, they believed that their practice of the spiritual gifts, especially speaking in tongues, demonstrated how spiritual and holy they were And yet their lives were full of self-indulgent sin. Sin that hurt one another and blackened Jesus' name throughout the whole region. 
Paul's message in this chapter is simple. Nothing we do matters if we don't do it with love. And the only sort of love that counts is God's love. Also, Paul, we've got to remember that Paul is speaking to the church, not to individuals. In the previous chapter, chapter 12, he describes the church using the metaphor of a body, explaining how each part of the body is equally important and equally valuable. This love of God then has a very specific context, the body of Christ, the church. But of course, this love shouldn't be constrained to the church, right? It should spill out into the world beyond. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, we find one of the most famous moral commandments in the world, which is you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But at the end of that same chapter, there's another equally astonishing command that you probably have never heard of that I came across in my devotions this morning. Leviticus 19.34 The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Has anyone heard that command before? Mm-hmm. Uh, love your, yeah. the foreigner as you love yourself? I certainly yes. have heard the, the foreigner, love foreigners among you, but I'd never heard the parallel with love your neighbour as, as you love yourself. I'd never picked up on that, <clears throat> that it was actually a parallel command to the, to the second most important command. So <clears throat> this love that Paul speaks of in, in 1 Corinthians starts inside the church, but it doesn't stay there. It reaches out into the world and it transforms it. So I just wanted us to bear those things in mind as we look at this passage more closely, and specifically two words. So the question that we're asking and answering is, what is love? If a friend asked you to give a one-sentence definition of love, what would you say? I couldn't. (laughs) You couldn't. Yep. Yeah. That's one. I say the drawing on the kindness, generosity, and love of God towards me to deliberately choose to commit to showing kindness, generosity, and love towards another. Wow. Tim's Tim's so theological. Nobody's going to say anything now, right? (laughs) I would go, love is. Accepting them and forgiving each other's um, flaws. Yep. Yeah, I had um, the, the sacrificial greater love have no man than a man laid down his life for his friends. Yeah. Giving yep. him yourself. Yep. And we're going to say this to our friends, you all. Hmm? You're all going to say it just like that to all your friends? Yes, I'm going to say, I love us, young man. Man, that's a big one. Yeah, we said, how your friend? What would you say? It's pretty hard to encapsulate one sentence, isn't it? Like, there's so many aspects. I'm going to draw in, and I can't do it justice in a sentence. Yeah, it's hard
Go on, Stevie. Treat, treat people who are not uh, members of your church. Treat them with the club and care you give yourself. And judge them as you judge yourself. Don't yeah. try to make them be perfect, expecting non believers to be perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> you can sort of cheat and just say, well, there's the love of friendship, the love of maybe too married, romantic love, the love of. Uh, of country of the familiar that's, that's cheating because it comes from C.S. Lewis's essay The Four Loves yeah. uh, and so you're going to talk about the types of love that people are capable of feeling that, uh, that there have been different words for it in different languages and then uh, well I don't know and you, you could it would be possible to rank them that would be a long sentence yeah, but that's not unusual for me. Yeah, it's like the first sentence of first sentence of Ephesians or something. Yeah. So, I I said that I might say, if I was feeling particularly uh, switched on at the time, that love is a commitment to act for the good of another. But then that, of course, and every single sentence that we give raises the question of what our terms mean. So in my case, what, what is the good of another? Um, and we actually talked about this on Tuesday night in our Bible study. Uh, how do we love someone? And, and when, especially when their values are radically different from ours, how do we actually work that out? Um, and it's, it's a tough question. And Paul, Paul faced that problem with the Corinthians. Their values are actually very similar to our values, uh, to our modern world's values, I should say. Maybe not to our personal values, but to our modern world's values. And, and so Paul had to define what love really meant, and thus this chapter. Perhaps if the Corinthians had been asked to define love, they might have said, like many in our society, love is love. Not a very helpful definition, but hey, lots of people seem to think that's a great Great uh, slogan. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, fortunately, didn't settle for love is love. Uh, he used Paul's situation to guide him to craft a powerful definition of love that that we now benefit from for all time, that, that Christians have benefited from for the last 2,000 years. Now, you might, <clears throat> you might notice that Paul starts, if you're this sort of person who does this sort of thing. You might notice that Paul starts with two positive definitions and then he presents eight negative definitions, what love isn't, and then a positive alternative to the last negative definition. And then he finishes with four positives and verse eight, I like to include that in this passage, uh, includes a double negative, which is a positive in this case. Love never fails. Um, So... You sort of might ask, how come there's so many negatives, right? There's eight negatives. But apart from addressing the sins of the Corinthians, the Bible uses negatives actually all the time uh, because a prohibition is much, uh, much more open than an exhortation. If I say, don't eat the seafood, it's hard to see the red thumb downs on the crayfish, but they're there. I'm actually saying you can eat anything except the seafood. I'm happy with that. Right? So <clears throat> that's how the Mosaic law works. God gives us almost unlimited choice with only a few things fenced off. 
Paul seems to be saying love is incredibly rich. Here are a few examples of what it does, but here are the things that it never does. It's easier to say the things it never does than all the things that it does do. So he just gives us a few examples of what it does do and lists the things that it never does. Although even that's not exhaustive. So it's not an exhaustive definition, but it's a very helpful one. So the first thing that Paul says that love is not is that love is not envious. Envy is, well, the way I think of it, envy is not quite the same thing as jealousy. Some translations use the word jealous. Love is not jealous here. Um, But I like the word envy because I like to reserve the word jealousy because God's a jealous God. His love is jealous. I like to reserve the word jealousy for this idea of of a a justified um, possession, a justified owning of something. God, it's it's for our good that, that we don't have other gods. So God's love is appropriately jealous. But envy... The way that I think of envy is never good. Envy is just, well, how would you define envy? Um, does it mean like someone, someone's got a car and it's a good car? You turn the key and it starts, it takes you from A to B, you own it, and everything works, right? Because the guy down the road, he's got a Merc, right? And it's a E series or, or whatever. And it's, it's an AMG. Yeah, AMG, <laughs> and like, oh, I just got to have that car that guy's got down the road. By the way, nothing wrong with the one I got. I own the one down down the road. I'm the one I got, but the guy down the road, he, he's leasing it anyway, right? So I'm envious. So it. It blocks, it does something in the spirit. It's a barrier to my relationship or my friendship with the God in the road. Mm. It's almost like with envy there is this feeling of it's not fair and I wish I was that person I had what they had and I don't like them because of it. There's all those sort of emotions caught up in it. Mm. It's an it it is an emotion that sullies other things, right? Envy, I don't know. Envy and jealousy. One of them seems more in general, whereas one seems more I want yours. Mm. Like one is I want what you have, whereas the other one is I want to have something good like what you have. Mm. That's kind of how I sort of feel like. You can right. sort of say, "Oh, I'm so jealous. You guys go on holidays." Yep. I'm not unhappy you're going on holidays, and I don't want to have your holiday from you. Yep. I have a similar experience, but if you like envy somebody's child's good behaviour. Is it that the person <laughs> falsely thinks that if they if they have what the other person's got, it's gonna make them happier? Yeah. You think so? Yeah, false false think, assumption. I think envy stops you from being genuinely happy for the other person. Yep. And, and for yourself too, right? Yeah, and, and it also, um, with envy, there's always the comparison and reducing of yourself. Mm. Yep. Like, I'm not as good as them, I'm not enough, or something like that, and they're so great without actually 
yeah. So it actually tears down everyone involved sort of thing yeah, in a way. Yeah, it's not only about them, it's also about you. Yeah, yeah. Zoom is, sorry, go on, well, Andrew. I was going to say, how would you separate envy and covetousness? Yeah. Maybe they're just steps on the, on the, the road to, to actually taking it. Covetous is, is sort of the next step. Yeah. Do you think that covetousness often refers to something you can take, whereas envy is often an attribute someone has? Mm. Not always, but, but sometimes. You know, I'm envious of that person's well liked mm. or has that good job or whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's not a difference. Maybe. And I guess if they're well-liked yeah. and the envious, then the next step is to try to put them better. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah, that's all you can do. Yeah. Envy yeah. is a bigger circle, and inside there's happiness. So you can envy many more things than you can cover, but some things you can cover in envy as well. You've got Venn diagrams, I think. So, Zoomers, have you got anything you want to say about envy? It's never good. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> so <clears throat> the interesting thing is that, of course, this this Paul was writing in Greek, and so he used a Greek word. And um, the Greek word used here is actually "zelo," as you can read in the middle there, if you can read Greek. Um, it's it's the it's the verb form of "zelos," and guess what, "zelos." Guess what relationship that has to English? Zealous. Zeal and, of course, jealous. So it's the root. It's And zealot, yep. It's the root of zealot, zeal, jealous, uh, etc. So so the word that Paul's using here is, is a bit different. Like English, Greek doesn't distribute, distinguish between envy and jealousy in the sensible way that I do. Um, <laughs> the... the um, the NIV translates the word in all sorts of different ways. This is jealous down the bottom, the blue down the bottom is jealous. Um, but you can see it's translated as covet sometimes and as zeal, as uh, eager, as zealous, as desiring. So the actual, the, actual, um, the actual Greek word means to have a really strong desire for something or someone where the desire itself sort of crowds out other considerations and leads inevitably to action. So the zealots had a really strong desire to, to set Israel free. Um, if you have the zeal, if you have zeal for God, you have a really strong desire to serve God. So it's not a bad word, but it can be. It actually sounds a bit like our society's conception of passionate, true love, right? It's this... It's this really strong driving desire but tragically such single-minded desire is almost always focused on pleasing ourselves so that's where the bad part of it comes from for example envy or jealousy plays an ugly part in the story of joseph in the septuagint the word zelo is used in this story Remember how Joseph was his father's favourite and how his father gave him a special robe to wear and then Joseph had two dreams about how he became a ruler and, and he told his, his brothers and, uh, and his father about the second one. And unsurprising, 
Unsurprisingly, the result was this. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And of course, that jealousy led to his brothers plotting against him and selling him into slavery. God used that for good, but it was a wicked, it was a wicked, envious emotion that caused them to discard Joseph and broke their father's heart. They certainly weren't loving Joseph when they threw him down the well and sold him to the Ishmaelites. Can you think of any examples of envy from stories or from your own experiences? Yep. Because they, you know, the Israelites were doing all the, the hard yucca. And, you know, hey, who's going to do the hard yucca now? But they go back and get them. Who's going to yep. build these statues and these temples and that to, to honor Pharaoh, basically? Yeah, so sort of yeah. envious of their industry. Yeah. <laughs> Natalia's watching a K-drama at the moment and because uh, it's a romance, it's full of envy and jealousy. That's, that's sort of the grist of those mills of, of uh, romance dramas, right? You've got to have love triangles and what's, what's a love triangle but a bunch of jealousy and envy. This sounds really strange. I I did oh, we were just saying that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the steps are so Yeah, the wicked queen is the so queen jealous, is jealous of, of Snow yeah. White. Yeah. Yeah. So envy is not limited to the Bible, is it? It's, it's, it's an emotion that, in fact, in our society, we've built it into our DNA. Uh, I've got a funny example here from Wix, a website company. You can get jealous of, of someone's website technology. Um, it's, I tried to download the video, but it didn't work with Proclaim for some reason, so I'm going to try to stream it from YouTube, so hopefully this works. Zoomers, you may just get the sound, but that's the... Well, actually, the video is pretty good, but... see if this... No, this doesn't look like it's working, so we'll try the website... So you deserve better. That's, that's actually what I was searching for when I was looking for ads because I knew that you deserve better is, is sort of the engine of advertising and it's envy. It's ugly, isn't it? Can I it's, just say that envy and like the, the fact that they mixed that in with the fatherhood theme is pretty messed up. With like, <laughs> how, what, what do they spin to the people's anger against their dads for not being there. Oh, this, this ad campaign got a lot of negative press. No, I mean, I think it's actually a clever ad. But <laughs> it's it funny. It strikes me as, if it hit home, that there's a lot of yeah. anger yeah. at your parents out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, this is what our society does. It, it, it uses these negative emotions to, to sell things, to, to drive the engine of commerce. And we'll talk about how to avoid envy in a moment, but first let's quickly look at the second thing that God's love is not. Remember, there's another six after this, so this is just the first two. What does it... So that one is that love does not boast. The word Paul uses here for boast is krestoomai, 
which has a ridiculous number of vowels in the middle of it. It's found only in this verse. So like the word for kind last week, uh, this is the only occurrence in the Bible. Fortunately, there's more occurrences outside the Bible. So we are pretty confident that this means the sort of boastfulness that involves puffing yourself up with your words, right? So um, what do you think is the purpose of boasting? Self-importance. Yep. Sorry, Stevie. So, Robin. Trying to make yourself feel better than other people. Yep. Trying to make yourself feel better than others. Things to get something. To get something. Steve said to to get that that positive affirmation that you need, or to get a better whatever, better job, better opinion from other people. Yep. Something. Yep. It's something greed behind it. Yeah. To, to let others know of the greatness of something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you boast of when you boast of Christ. Yeah. Yep. That's right. When I searched for boasting, that was actually something that turned up a fair bit. Boasting of Christ. One of the main things was Lecrae's song "Boast," which I didn't listen to, but since Lecrae's a Christian, I imagine it's some sort of Christian sort of thing. Um. Yep. I'm so good at this, you know, see if you can compare. To sort of intimidate them or challenge them. Yep. Actually, that's pretty. That's pretty much. I found a, a really cool clip on boasting, and that's pretty much what's happening. So, again, we'll have to watch the YouTube. Uh, hopefully, it won't play an ad. <laughs> so. I think Muhammad Ali showed how useful boasting was when you wanted to defeat someone, when you want to frighten them or, or chase them away. And, and the Bible is full of this sort of talk as well. The, the trash talk that the ancients engaged in before war or, or during war. And um, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a very powerful weapon. But what use is it when you want to love someone? The, um, <coughs> oops, what's happened there? Okay, Proclaims just died on this. Oh, I can, I can use this. I'm set up ready. <laughs> I'm ready for this now. Um, <coughs> just got to find the right slide. There we go. So... <coughs> Have you ever known anyone who felt loved because someone talked about how great they were to them? It's not, it, it doesn't really convey love to say how great you are to someone. Boasting builds up the boaster. Love builds up the one who is loved. So how can we be better lovers I think the first thing that we can do is to keep our eyes focused, you know, using these two words, these two things that love isn't, is to keep our eyes focused on the needs of the person that we're loving. So if we're thinking, I deserve better than this, I deserve more, then we've confused Christian love, God's love, which gives and gives with the world's love, 
which expects give and take. The world's love sometimes says I deserve better because there's give and take and sometimes somebody isn't giving enough. But it's crucial to remember that as Christians, we can't love on our own. We can't actually love like Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 in our own strength. We just don't have the capacity to give and give. It's not a human it's not a human capacity. God has that capacity. Even Adam and Eve didn't have that capacity. They needed God to be in control of their lives, to be dwelling in their hearts. So we have to be in constant prayer, asking God to provide us with strength and wisdom needed to build up the one that we're loving. And if we try to love on our own, we can't really do much better than what the world does, which is just create messes where love is love and half the people who commit to their, commit their lives to one another end up divorced because I deserve better. Paul tells the Philippians that he is happy to be poured out like a drink offering for the benefit of their faith. That's what love without envy looks like. It pours itself out as an act of worship to God and for the benefit of another. This is in the same chapter where Paul's talking about the way that Jesus poured himself out, emptied himself and came to die and that we need to have that same attitude. What a challenge. And again, we're called to do this in Christ's strength. We can't do this on our own. This is not, this is not some sort of self-help process. This is a God-help process. What about boasting? Perhaps, perhaps we'd best remember that love is an action. Love is a verb, as DC talks saying. It's not mere words. Love doesn't need to call attention to itself because its goal is to serve, not to seek recognition. And again, this, this is not something that we can do on our own. We, we don't need to boast when we can trust God to provide us with people who will build us up and recognise our obedience, our, our, um, our sacrifice. But if we can't trust God to provide those people, then, yeah, we probably do need to boast. Otherwise, people take us for granted. But what sustains us as Christians is that God is faithful and we don't need to blow our own trumpets. God provides. The, it's not the quid pro quo, the give and take of our society's relationships that sustains us as Christians. It's what Jesus talks about in one of his parables. At the very end of the parable of the talents in Matthew, Jesus says that the servant's master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
come and share your master's happiness. I always think of the end of Babe, you know. That'll do, pig. That'll do. (laughs) When you're sharing God's love and you think, I deserve better than this, or when you're tempted to brag about all the sacrifices that you've made, remember that image. A servant standing before his Lord, receiving the ultimately meaningful praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. And now a final thought to ponder, which you can uh, take home and write on your sheets or you can write now. Apart from not thinking I deserve better, how can we avoid envy and boasting? Because love is not envious and love is not boastful. So let's pray. Lord, we know that you call us to be holy like you, but so often we forget that this means that we need to be really different to the world around us. Help us to understand how the the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit can transform the way that we love one another and, and that we love those around us. Help us to rely on you so that we can love with supernatural power. And so show the world that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.